Greyhound to trap one. Is that you, Yates? Where are you? Thank you for downloading the Trap One podcast. I'm Mark. I'm Pete. I'm Colin. On this episode, we'll be looking at the Season 14 Blu-ray box sets. Uh, we were all lucky enough to get our hands of Fear on one of these lovely collections. Uh, I think I'm right in saying it's the first one that's sold out before the release date. I, I had to trade uh, two dozen packets of Andrex for it. It was the only way that I could manage to get <laughs> one. But you've just got to prioritise in these circumstances, haven't you? <laughs> I haven't got it. I've just been watching the Police Squad Blu-ray that's just come out, so... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Same difference. Right. Yeah, I think um, they, it's not out in the USA until August. I was wondering if that was maybe part of the reason why it's sold out here. So, I mean, it's a very popular season as well, obviously, but um, I wondered if... Uh, I, think there's, I think there's two things. One, apparently there's some of the material comes from Italy or something, or manufactured somewhere. Um, but also I think they are pretty terrible at um, forecasting I'm sorry no no offence right to the guys making it because it's brilliant but yeah they they probably don't get a say in that do they that's the marketing no of course not exactly it's not like someone was asking Marquez when when is there going to when is it going to be more stock and he's like sorry I don't know but it's Mm. like you know you make you, you you should know you should have enough data now to know that A people don't always pre-order stuff uh, and they have sometimes have 40 quid and sometimes don't have 40 quid month mm-hmm. to month. So you kind of need several weeks of cover. Maybe you say like it's available for roughly two months afterwards. Um, Cause you, you, you get the, they get the, um, the numbers back from the retailers, the pre-orders. So they, they can just go that plus that. So I, I don't know why. And I'm sure it's not sort of, horribly intentional but if the intention is to like their super limited edition and their pre-order only then they've got to make that clearer mm. yeah and it's not a numbered limited edition so no, nobody who's buying it would really would really care but maybe it is to do with you know the only the only variation they could do would be to double the print run or something and the, and they because they're buying them in in a, in a bulk pressing i don't know i'm imagining based on a few things that i've been involved in the ordering of uh, that um because otherwise, it's like there must be some operational obstacle that's stopping them doing it, because otherwise it's just such an open goal, why don't they just make more? Pete, is that because you've got 10,000 copies of the Five Doctors and King's Demons box set and sh- postcard? <laughs> and my sharders. I mean, uh, I, 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 I have got a sharder room here, yeah, just, just full of that <laughs> But yes, we, no, we are lucky, we don't, and I don't take for granted at all that I'm able to get my hands on a copy of this flipping thing because uh, it's uh, I feel really bad for people who want to but haven't been able to yeah absolutely um, I because I had a quick look on eBay before we started recording and they're going for about 80 or 90 pound I think at the moment so kind of double or more what the uh, uh, you know what the ticket price is basically cover price and yet you do wonder there are people deliberately buying them up just to do that yeah mm. which and, and, becomes um, I cannot think of a good reason why like, think of any other D, uh, Blu-ray box set that you're out there buying, right? That, um, like, and it, yeah, if I'm BBC, I'm thinking, I do not want a bunch of a bunch of overstocks for this going on forever because the audience is super limited, not growing, and pretty pretty clear, and I should be able to forecast it. But then I'm going, what? Um, 
why does every other box set that comes out uh, still sell? So it, it is unique in the sense that it's not like Game of Thrones where it can sit on a shelf in HMV for five years um, and then eventually sell. It will go once, and you, you know you're not going to have 26 seasons uh, in stock at all times. Mm-hmm. It feels like you need three or four months, and if if even if people are making money off them for eBay, then that means that the artists. Um, that you know, Chris Chapman and uh, Toby Pedo, Kadok and Mark Ayers are not making as much from it as they should. Um, so you know, we've got scalpers. What a way to start the podcast! And another thing, <laughs> straight with the anger. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if part of it is is whether you know they they perceive a decline in physical media and and you know see it as a bit of a throwback but I, I think probably especially for yeah. the classic series it's you probably of the generation that still want physical media um but yeah it must be really unusual compared to other season other tv's properties that they're also selling where the exact opposite is what's happening and it's all just goes if you're lucky 2.99 budget releases or something yeah yeah it's, it's true look i mean two things one the online retailers can tell them exactly but should be telling them if they've got a good relationship how many pre-orders they have at any time. But then that that doesn't translate to we can magically make four hundred more the next day. Yeah. You know, you you book out a factory for a certain period of time. So anyway, look, everyone's doing their best. These are all um, yeah. they're all great. So I wonder if they you know. will be available as downloads at some point in the future because uh, you know the the um, the time and the effort's gone into making these documentaries. Uh, you know they don't then have any sort of uh, you know future future potential, do they? If they're not, um, you know, if you can't buy them through iTunes or something. Yeah, yeah they're really going to stand the test of time. This, this, all of all of all of the bonus features that we'll get to in a bit are just of such high quality that, that this is definitely. I can't believe this is the only time they'll ever see the light of day. I'm yeah. sure that they'll get snapped up by some future brain implant version of Netflix in a few <laughs> years' time. Yeah. So your discs didn't sort of stutter slightly every minute or so? No. No? Did you have a problem with yours? Yeah, every so often it kind of, um, the picture catches up with the audio. The audio is always fine, but the Mm -hmm. picture kind of speeds up a little bit. Um, I'm just guessing that for some reason it's, because it's going through an amp and then to a 4K TV, there's lots of processing in there and everything's trying to keep itself up to date. I was wondering if anyone else had heard heard that, and it doesn't happen on anything else I own. So um, there we go. Um, but anyway, shall we talk about it? Indeed. So we've got the the new menu, uh, which shows the beautiful secondary control room. Um, I think it's a, it's a longer animation as well, isn't it, than some of the others? Um, it really goes into a lot of loving detail as, as you as you pan around uh what did you guys think of this i think that um look if chris chibnall wants to boost the ratings of the new series then he, he can just bring back the secondary control console for yeah. pure um sort of uh, gimmicky reasons and lovely reasons um but yeah, it's, yeah. it's a nice that's a nice really nice design i like the I'm thinking of the room itself versus just mm. the the menu, but it's just um, well, just just a really different thing to introduce. Oh, because yeah, in one of the documentaries, Philip Hinchcliffe goes, "I really like oak panelled rooms." Okay, 
that's the main reason you did this then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and the old set was looking really tatty. So, uh, despite having been through a few remakes, so why not? Yeah, but I, I, and I get that some people say that it doesn't. It, there should be more of a contrast because for some people, are really attached to the bright white of the TARDIS being a contrast to its battered old police box exterior. But then by this point, we're so familiar with the bright white of the TARDIS that going into this oak panelled room that could be like a sort of professor's den is um, an, it is a contrast in itself to what we already expect from Doctor Who. So it sort of contrasts within contrasts, which is quite clever. At least we didn't get the tertiary control room, which in the 70s would have been like you know, an avocado bath and... <laughs> um, cyan coloured bathroom tiles brown and orange sofa yeah yeah. Uh, imperial leather soap that's true though. there's nothing 70s about it is there it's all and the art deco window with the um, windows with the, the coloured panels in it's all quite 1930s inspired mm. yeah definitely yeah, like you say like a kind of Victorian gentleman's study kind of idea almost isn't it that, that fits with the character really well, well. Yeah. It still takes, and I have timed it. It is lovely that we have Tom Baker now doing the voiceover, telling us which which disc it is. But yeah. it still takes one minute and twenty five seconds to get it from pressing and play to being able to do anything on the disc. <laughs> and I think all those one minute and twenty five seconds is are going to add up at some point in my life, and I'm going to realise I could have done an extra two rounds of Duolingo or something. <laughs> but, um, why can't you just press skip? Why can't you just go straight to play? I don't understand. Why do I have to see the lovely Doctor Who logo and then the lovely? Um, BBC logo and then the lovely select audio navigation now which is a, a re- practically a, a, a religious uh, chant to, to all of us by now we've heard it so many times but um, it would be nice to just be able to press play <laughs> but well, to, quote, to quote Anthony Ainley um, moments such as this should be saved <laughs> save it yes, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah I think you've got to put the disc in and then go and put the kettle on haven't you and then uh... Uh, by the time you come back with your cup of tea, it's ready to go. Could you guys make out what the book was on the console? Because every disc that I've watched, I've put it in, waited for it to come round, and it just because it just seems to be writing on the cover, doesn't there? Um, but I yeah, yeah, it's the Doctor Who cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> God, what was the 1970s edition of the Doctor Who cookbook? Like, that would be like, yeah, mashed avocado, swans, yeah, smash. It's the yeah, like, like the, Fanny Craddock in space. That's right. Like the Folio uh, Society version of it on the uh, on the console. We failed to do that, didn't we? We we had we Mark ages ago. I think we talked about actually baking or cooking a recipe from the Doctor Who. Um, cookbook live on this podcast and we totally bottled it <laughs> yeah we were going to do it for the season 23 box set with Keith but yeah that's it which was so long ago definitely the world it was, was, it was, the world was we were living place. in another world yes <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I think you made a really good point Pete beforehand about the six stories in this season um, they, they fall nicely into, into pairs yeah, yeah, it's unusual that, isn't it? Because there, there, there's just yeah, you know, we've got the two Sarah stories, then we've got the no companion story and introducing the new companion story, and and then the the two really old school remakes of classic formats, Hammer Hammer style ones at the end, and and the, and yeah, it's um 
and it just feels like a completely different world from that from starting up with the Doctor and Sarah at the beginning of their fourth year together. And then by the time you've led through to the end of it, you've got um, Leela on board and, and you're off into the world of proper full-on horror. Mm. It's, um, it, it, it's a hell of a journey. Yeah, it's, it's very transitional. To, I mean, a lot of, all seasons are in some way, I guess, aren't they? Because you've either got people before uh, in front of or behind the camera, uh, you know, kind of arriving or moving on. But, um, but yeah, it is a, it's a big change from start to finish. Uh, so what do you think of the Mask of Mandragora? Um, well, look, he's, uh, if he's not socially distancing, at least he's wearing a mask. So, <laughs> uh, he's, he's doing his best. Uh, I, I really like it. I, I remember the Target book really well, the front cover of that. The fact it was just the mask and, mm. uh, um, I, picture quality wise, I kind of thought it looks better in the studio than on location for some bizarre reason. It didn't yeah. feel like the the outside broadcast was either on film or had increased in, in quality enough. Um, uh, I think that's they haven't got the original footage for it still, had they? So what we're watching there is the original footage that's been converted to video and then been converted to HD. So it has that, yeah. Right. Um, but it's but it's still actually, sorry, go on. What was you about to say? No, no, no. Um, but I mean, it's just such a just a great location. Um, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's definitely a watchable romp. It's kind of proto androids of Tara in a sense, just sort of atmosphere wise for me. Um, uh, it's very linear. Um, yeah. It's very, and it's a real um, Doctor Who does swashbuckle thing, which I never, I never used to particularly watch those. I think they're the, that's the stuff that the old, the old Robin Hood series and things that uh, was a, a, a big influence on the people who were actually producing and directing around then, as that being a sort of standard adventure format that Doctor Who is really well suited for, and we get it in subsequent years a bit more as well. But whether you're never anything about someone getting a sword out. Is, is Doctor Who doing a thing that I don't actually know much about the source of, but you can see that they really uh, they really enjoy it. Yeah, I, I was thinking about it this time and thinking it's, in terms of, uh, you know, that kind of uh, pseudo-historical, I guess, of uh, you know, getting this era of uh, the Pyramids of Mars and the Talons of Wen Chiang, which are generally regarded as classics, and this one just doesn't have quite the same reputation, does it? And it, it, it looks great, but I, it just doesn't quite. I think there's a couple of things. It just doesn't have as many memorable moments, um, and and doesn't have a really strong villain because it's it's the uh, the, the Mandragora energy, which is uh, you know kind of a bit formless, and uh, you know you don't have a a really sinister uh, actor playing the villain. Maybe you've got you've got Hieronymus, but uh, he's not the, the kind of the ultimate big bad, I suppose. No, and if you're comparing him to people like. Solon in 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 um, Brain and Morbius, who yeah, who who, mm. who is just absolutely at the focus of it and carries it all on. With this, it's, it is more about the notion of the, the Mandragora energy getting out. That's that's the peril everyone's facing, and also the the um, the Duke and his and his special friend are um, <laughs> are kind of lovely and very nice, but they're also mm. there's not much to them. And they joke about it on the commentary. They can't, I can't remember what Tom Baker's nickname for them was, like Doris and Florence or something. But um, they were very, they were perfectly happy to be interpreted as as representing more than just good friends. Uh, but they um, were um, 
there's not really much to them. You know, there's, there's the, 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 the sort of feeling that they want, let's have an enlightenment. Wouldn't that be great? Which is, which is good. But, but it's, it's kind of, but it's, I don't, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm only, I'm only quibbling as to why, why it's only like an eight out of 10 rather than a 10 out of 10 in my book, which is a terrible way of ranking <laughs> stories and we shouldn't have that habit. But you know, do you know what I mean? It's why it's, that's why I think it's good, very good, but not exemplary. Yeah, it's completely inoffensive. It's fine. You'll definitely watch it if it's on the box set to get, you won't let go. This is like one I can't, can't be asked with. Mm. Um, and it's good to have something that's completely inoffensive to sort of level out the season on average. Yeah. But it's not like, like as I say, Androids of Tara, where it has so much charm as a sort of period, mm. um, sort of very Shakespearean sort of, sort of BBC drama thing. Have you been to Port Merion, never? I have not. I nearly went for a radiophonic workshop gig, but oh, wow. it was a bit far. It is, it is a way, isn't it? Yeah. But um, we, 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 I went there with some friends years and years ago and, and we, we parked a few miles away and decided to hike through some woods to get to the place at Port Marion. And, um, and we got lost in the woods and we encountered this really scraggy old shepherd dog, uh, like a, like a, a border collie. Um, and it just looked really old and scraggy. And as soon as it saw us, it like counted us all. And then it just started going, heading off through the woods and stopping and turning around and looking back at us. Uh, like wanting us to follow it, and so we followed it, and it, it led us to Port Marion. It was obviously obviously just used to rounding up lost people in these woods and delivering them to the, uh, <laughs> to the filming location. You could probably smell from our anoraks that we were um, we were either Doctor Who <laughs> or prisoner fans, and so decided to guide us to the site. And we felt really guilty because the only thing we had in our bags to give it as a reward was some pita bread. And this poor dog, we held out this little bit of pita bread when it delivered us to the thing, and it was like, "That's my tip. That's all I get." <laughs> it's still it. It's still it. It, but I think it was angling for a sausage roll or something. Salami. Does yes. <laughs> uh, I've never been either, but I have been to a radiophonic workshop gig, and they are very, very good. I've been to a very large number of them, and uh, I would definitely go again. They've uh, di- digression, but um, uh, love them. Mm-hmm. Which one did you go to, Mark? Um, it was over in the northeast. I can't quite remember where it was. Um, was it outside by the sea or something, by the river? Uh, this, it was, this was indoors. I don't think okay. it was, uh, I think it was in the winter. Um, the, I can't quite remember where it was, but you know there's the, um, or maybe you don't, there's a shop called Hooray over in the northeast, uh, and I think they organised or co-organised it, and there was a bit of a sort of a day during the day with uh, Colin Baker and different people there. Uh, and then they did a gig uh, in the sort of art centre at night, uh, and it was okay, yeah, cool, amazing, fantastic, really good. Yeah, yeah. I've also got a record coming out for Record Store Day, uh, which has been delayed till June. Um, I guess it could be potentially be delayed again. Uh, so I was going to try and pick that up. Which which one's that? Remind me. Uh, I I can't remember now. Sorry. Um, okay. I will put a link in the show notes though to the Record Store Day. <laughs> Uh, website because we're also getting the massacre on vinyl, um, and I think the first series of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as well. So um, there's some uh, some good stuff coming yeah. up on there. The first series of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's already been on vinyl. Okay. Ah right. I'm I bet it'll be a different colour. Yeah. <laughs> <Maybe> <laughs> yeah. 
And there was, it was a slightly different splattered line. Yeah, yeah. we made out of towel, made out of towel, yeah. <laughs> and playable towel. Yeah, <laughs> they'll find a way. different towels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I learned uh, on, on these um, uh, on the Blu-ray bonus features, I remembered that I've got an external Blu-ray player that I can connect to my computer, which I completely forgot I'd bought in a sale ages ago. And so I connected it up and remembered to do the thing of looking at the PDFs because it is a bit weird that there's just really good content on there that you, but it's in a format that you can't call up on screen. And they've got everything, all the scripts, all this, a lot of the set designs and stage plans, and uh, the, and it's got the original promo material for Mask of Mandragora, which I did not know at, at that point. There were still for a while, they were still calling it Doctor Who and the Catacombs of Death. And I do quite like that. Like, I would have been happy if they'd stuck with that. No, Massacre of Mandragora has a very nice ring to it too. But um, Catacombs yeah. of Death is just kind of good too. Yeah, um, they know they had death. I think how many of Death? Yeah, we've already got the robots of Death. So that's oh, of course, same year. Yeah, yeah, yeah that'll be it. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's always the something of something with the Hinchcliffe era. Isn't there yeah. an old Doctor yeah. Who computer game called the Catacombs of Terror or Death or something. Uh, it was called Doctor in the Minds of Terror. Ah, right. On the Commodore, I had it on the Commodore 64, um, and I could not get very far on it. But it was a really pretty good game. It was it like had some things that looked like Daleks that obviously they didn't have the rights for. Uh, and then the Doctor has a white cat based on all of Colin's brooches, and the music was all kind of. I remember that because I heard it about a billion times. Yeah. Um, but, and, and they go for about 40 quid on eBay, copies of that. And then you have to buy a copy of 64 as well. <laughs> oh, oh I, have, I have several. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I have a um, digression, but I have a brand new Commodore 64 I got off eBay about 10 years ago that I know is brand new because the plug isn't fitted back in the day when... Yeah. You, yeah. you had to do your own plugs. I was like, what? Yeah. So, um, anyway. I had a Commodore 64. I used, to, I used to love the Ghostbusters game on that. Uh, you slimed me. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> you did the drive. You had to drive to uh-huh. the ghost sighting and you just have to navigate the, uh, the Ecto-1 uh, on the roads. And then when you got there, you'd set up the traps and, uh, and all that sort of stuff. It probably looks terrible <laughs> now, but it was amazing at the time. You got you're going to hang up on me now if I say I had a Spectrum. You had a Spectrum. I'll, I was just I'll be open to about it. My lovely rubber keyboard. <laughs> well, I mean, I built my first ever my first ever computer database. I built it. Played the it had the McCoy logo appeared on the screen, and it play, it beeped out in in monotone the uh, the theme music, and you could scroll down a list of the seasons of Doctor Who and click on it, and it took you to a list of stories from that season. And, and I now that. do databases professionally. <laughs> Send that to Chris Chapman. Get it on the season twenty-five box set. <laughs> I could be a bonus feature. That's right. Yeah, I wonder if there's some way they can put the um, the computer game on the uh, on the appropriate season box set. I mean, I don't know how you'd be able to play it, but I guess through the Blu- uh, Blu-ray drive, wouldn't you? But that'd be cool. I, yeah, you can get emulators, buttons, can't you? Uh, I had Dalek Attack on the Amiga. I did not have that. <laughs> So they, they did actually get the rights. Yeah, they. Um, Has there been a good Doctor Who game? No. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's well, the, what was the one with the with Anthony? We're really going off here, aren't we? But what was the one with Anthony Ainley that was a um, sort of encyclopedia? That was it. Yeah, uh, I've never seen it, but people said it was sort of entertaining, but mainly just for him camping it up rather than because it was an exciting game. Yeah, it's like Microsoft and Carter meets um, Doctor Who, the TARDIS technical manual. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So then we uh, we so you say we say farewell to Sarah Jane in the hand of fear. I, I, my brain was going so slowly. I was thinking, is there a way of going? So talking of mad computers, no, there isn't a mad computer in the hand of fear, is there? <laughs> <laughs> save it, save it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> Getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, Doctor Who does Chernobyl uh, before Chernobyl did Chernobyl. Mm. Um, it feels like. It, it's, this is the story that when I first got into Doctor Who, my, my friend at primary school, Neil, who swore he was a bigger Doctor Who fan than me, and this caused some arguments, he insisted he could remember this really vividly. And he was, he was like, two. There is no way he could have remembered <laughs> it. But he would describe bits to me from the book that he'd obviously just read. Uh, and so I was always, but I was always, I have this weird wariness of this story now because it's like the story that would get brandished at me at school. Like, well, you can't even remember Hand of Fear, so you're not a real fan. This is what I was like seven. So I try not to hold that against it because it's really not Hand of Fear's fault. And it's I'm really about your childhood, though. <laughs> <laughs> this is where I went to my therapist months to get to this kind of revelation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about Sarah's character in, in, in Mask and Hand? She's she, she's very screamy and hypnotizing and captured-y. Yeah. Do you think this uh, is I why think... They, they wrote her out because she was becoming a bit of a liability? No, but she didn't she didn't get written out. She she decided to quit. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was her wanting to go. She said that she she assumed that when a new producer came, that yeah. the new producer would get rid of her. So she decided to leave before the new computer producer came was was her her reasoning apparently. But um I just wondered if they deliberately, for these two stories, made her the the real opposite of Leela to make Leela more of a shock when she arrives, or whether I'm just back projecting as a yeah. as a thing. Because could be. I mean, um, more of a joke, really, like an in-universe uh, reason for the Doctor um, leaving her behind because she kept getting uh, possessed and um, trying to kill him and stuff. Oh, sorry, <laughs> taking you. <Luke. laughs> You're not supposed to joke. This is a Doctor Who podcast. It's supposed to be serious. <laughs> but she does do that stuff very well. I think um, it's 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 a good use of, uh, of Elizabeth Sladen. I think in a final story to uh, you know kind of show her range a little bit, isn't it? Of, um, of when when she's possessed and she's doing that kind of really creepy, almost like kind of little girl stuff. Yeah. Yes, that is very well done. The look in her eye mm. and being. Uh, and being dressed as, and even putting a reference in the script to her being dressed as Andy Pandy, um, <laughs> making em, emphasising the, the, the vulnerability and that she's yeah yeah that she's really she is really in danger this time because we've seen her in danger so many times, but they've got to really ramp it up for us to still be worried about it. And, and I guess people knew. I don't, I don't know if it's like now. I don't know if everyone watching knew it was going to be her last story or if it came as a shock and suddenly she left at the end of the last part. I think, and of course it's because because. Because she's uh, there's interviews, isn't there, where she uh, she announces it. There's a nationwide interview of her saying, "Yes, my my last story is on this week." Yeah, I was reading. I think in the um, in the About Time book, they talk about it being on the news, and then it being quite a big deal as as to how she would leave. 
So the stuff like when she's buried really early on, really early on in the rockfall, and it looks like she might have died. That these are sort of like false little, um, little things of like, oh, she's dead now. Has this happened to her? Um, you know, when she gets trapped in the reactor and things of, um, of various ways that she could have been written out or killed off. Because I think the story that this replaced, um, they they were going to kill her off. I think. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, I heard they were, were going to do that. That would be, I mean, Adric was traumatic enough. Yeah. Reduced the nation to tears. But Sarah, Sarah Jane was, was was just such a part of the fabric of Doctor Who and loved by so many children. They would have done it as well, wouldn't they? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Hinch, they yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At, yeah. At this point, yeah, you can imagine them uh, definitely, well, I suppose it got far as, um, as kind of storylining or whatever that they were they were considering it. Um, but then we'd have been robbed of her later appearances and um, the spin-off series and stuff. It would have been a real shame. Definitely. Yeah, universe without canine and company doesn't bear thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> All the same. <laughs> but as well. Um, I just love that ending that they so they scripted themselves. Um, yeah. Then that they they talk about in the making offs that they'd written something and it didn't quite work and. Um, Liz and Tom just make that scene. Mm. I mean, they should have written more stories. To be honest, it's such a such a brilliant scene. Yeah, um, I think one of the reasons that she stayed on into this season was the hope that the um, the Tom Baker Ian Martin movie, the Scratchman, was going to get made, so that she'd still be kind of in situ as a companion. Um, I think I read this somewhere. Okay, um, so uh, that would have been. Um, that would have been great, if it, especially if we got Harry back for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. One of the great, one of the great artists of, of Doctor Who. Mm. They got quite far, I think, with, with funding and various things as well, and then just sort of fell apart at the last minute. Mm. Yeah, it's just cursed the idea of Doctor Who get to the cinema, isn't it? It's um... yeah, yeah, definitely. I just. I really... The, the, the other what if is, what if Stephen Moffat had got the rights to use the Cushing movies in actual Day of the Doctor? As <laughs> mm. uh, some, I've not read the book yet, but some meta, meta, like whatever it was to do with itself. I just think that would have been so, so clever. Um, I'm desperate to see those movies again. Really. <laughs> They're such, they are really fun. Yeah. And, and yeah, it was, wasn't it going to be that? I can't remember the detail. Was was it that it was going to turn out that Ian and Barbara had re- reported their journeys to a psychologist who had gone on to become a scriptwriter and had made movies about them, or something, something awesome. like that was, was was the backstory to it? Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, there's some, something like that, wasn't there? Yeah, so, that would have been cool. But yeah, crazy that, um, you, that it was going to cost too much to get the rights to use the uh, to use the posters <laughs> in actual Doctor Who. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you make of the? I can't remember who's only implied or if it's actually stated that when when Sarah comes back in school reunion, that the Doctor deliberately pushed her out away because he wanted her to get on with his her life because he thought she was in love with him and he wanted and he hoped that she'd go off and find someone. Is that is that said in school reunion or is that just implied? I can't remember now. I should have rewatched that as well, really. But um, don't think so. Because I mean, yeah, okay. it's sort of it's a way of re- said. It's just a way of retconning the can't take you to Gallifrey, and then 
six months later, take any old sod to Gallifrey. Yeah. Becomes the, uh, it's yeah. like maybe yeah, extra motive. Well, because another idea, and I can't remember where I saw this, is that um, part of the reason he doesn't want to take her is because of what happens to Jamie and Zoe. Last time he was on, he was on Gallifrey, that he didn't want her memories of their time together removed. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's really touching. Yeah. And it's, that leads into the, the, one of the weirdest things, it, retrospectively, about a, a, a deadly assassin being... It starts with the premonition of the ending of episode one. I don't think we ever get... Do we do, we do premonitions in Doctor Who before this? I can't think of any. I don't think so, but it also does like a a voiceover and a Star Wars scroll thing. Yeah. Is that right? Before Star Wars? Like yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so it's a, it's a Flash Gordon scroll, isn't it? That's Basically. <laughs> yeah. I think is it, um, there is a Pertwee story where he's having a dream at the start. Is that maybe the Time Monster or something like that? But I don't think we, I don't know if we see, that's ages since I've watched it, oh, I can't remember. Yeah, I don't remember that one too well. I just remember the flapping. Yeah. <laughs> the squawking. Uh, but before we talk about, like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> before we talk about The Deadly Assassin, we should probably, a uh, good point to talk about Farewell Sarah Jane, the, the new documentary on the life of Elizabeth Sladen. Which um, I thought was just really lovely. Um, I'd not seen any of the rest of her uh, work, I don't think. Um, so it was really great to uh, see her in sort of Coronation Street and uh, Zed cars and, and that type of thing. Yeah, and there's that clip of her in um, Some Mothers Do Have Them, which was her job. Yeah. Just yeah. Doctor Who, where she'd been up for. I remember reading that she'd yeah. been up for the role Betty and didn't get it. Uh, and when you look at it now, you just think, oh yeah, that wasn't the role for her at all. Being, being this long, being this long suffering and, and haplessly sort of victimised by his by his disasters. Whereas she got to be a little bit brusque with him in the one scene that she was in, and the, and the interview is very funny because it, it makes it clear that she she did not particularly enjoy working with him. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Because although she says it in a nice way, she was so in the zone and so focused on doing everything just how he wanted to do. Um, you think yes, okay, yes, that's how to speak for. He was really annoying and didn't listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, it was it all on his shoulders, so she says. Definitely, I love the um, the use of the uh, Nissan Figaro as well to um, to introduce the locations. Um, it's very much like I on Tuesday I saw one of those cars, um, the same color and everything, and immediately everything because you don't see that many of them. Every time you see one, immediately it's like that's the Sarah Jane Smith car. Um, yeah, it's become really closely associated from the from the Sarah Jane adventures, hasn't it? Yeah. I still remember on the, on the day that she died, I, I went to work, uh, I, was, I was at work, and someone came and said, oh, what's, wrong with, what's wrong with you? Something's on your face. Uh, and I just went, oh, it's nothing, I think I'm stupid. Uh, and then I just mentioned it. And they were like, and they went, no, no, really, what was it? I said, no, really, it's that. This actress has just died, and I know she's not a massive star or anything, but she's really important to people. And they were, and, and they were like, oh, my God, you, you really are upset about this, aren't you? And, and they couldn't quite, and they were very nice about it, as they realised. But the, the idea that I would be upset about the passing of an, of an actor from a from a show who was in it before I watched it was was hard for them to get their heads around, understandably, because it's such a peculiar thing to experience. Mm. But that's the power that she had. 
she wasn't even my companion, and yet she she was just so so important to to us all, really, wasn't she? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. She, um, I think, you know, I was, I think, like the first time I would have ever really seen her was in the Five Doctors, um, like lots of them, and then never sort of seen her again until till the DVDs came out. I'm thinking, uh, or, or seeing Genesis the Daleks on VHS or something. Um, but yeah, no, it's a, it's an absolutely brilliant documentary. You've got. Um, Lots of input from lots and lots of people, lots of clips, lots of sort of convention footage. Um, but the, the the real moment is when they are with Tom Baker and they're showing him clips on someone's phone off off of YouTube, and he's pretty emotional, and that got me. Mm. Yeah, and it's very, and it's done so. Um, deftly, it's not. They do not trowel it on. It doesn't go out of its way to tug at your heartstrings. It's just really, really, really sort of just straightforward and and just sincere. And, and also, I mean, it's nice. It's not. It doesn't. It's not mawkish. It's not depressing. It, it, obviously, it has a really sad ending. But the but the story itself is such a nice one and told so warmly. And just everybody liked her so much. It, um, it, it's still a really sort of nice feeling watching it. But obviously very sad as well it is yeah and like you say Pete I can remember the day you know when, when we heard the news as well really vividly it's um I think because it was such a shock as well it wasn't somebody who was really old or anything like that you know it's somebody you know still playing the character on tv regularly though there was, there was still episodes that hadn't gone out yet wasn't there it was um it was so out of the blue yeah. it was uh, it was horrible yeah did you guys ever meet her at a convention or anything no, and I, that's one of the things that I regret, that I had this long period where I liked Doctor Who, but just didn't bother with the fandom. And, and then I sort of, a little while after, after this, I started getting back into it and realising how, 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 how lucky we are to still have people around who can tell us these lovely stories and things. Because, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I missed that. Did, did you ever comment? No, I did not. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a regret, for sure. Yeah, so, I mean, look, we, we had plans this year to go to conventions because I, I was I was kind of getting a bit tired of them again. And then I'm like, no, no, I want to want to go and see them all and uh, just before, you know, uh, go make the best of it. Mm. Um, but, yeah, no, really, really great. Yeah. I met her at um, a convention um that John Pertwee was at as well um when I was I was pretty young um and he was, he was the first one I ever went to and then it was like years and years before I ever went to another one but um it was yeah amazing to meet her and John Pertwee and it was only a couple of months before John Pertwee died so it was about 1996 um yeah, yeah she was one of those um great guests that just had time for everybody you know amazingly friendly and uh and all that sort of stuff and uh yeah great stories and like that. It was, uh, yeah, yeah, she had to be persuaded to do conventions, didn't she? Yeah, initially, I think. Yeah, mm. um, I think uh, you hear that story quite a bit. I think, don't you? That initially, they mm. got a bit of trepidation, but then uh, you know, kind of once they uh, want to see what they're like, it's uh, they don't mind them. Yeah. Yeah, and once an actor discovers that there is this audience there who will who will love whatever you do, yeah, and 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 then because most of them have 
just naturally got the gift of the gab anyway and are great storytellers. Um, uh, it's something that they probably never thought about doing, but as soon as they try it, they just slot right into it. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's just a perfectly pitched, perfectly made little little film, and you know, it's, it's, it's yeah. the sort of thing that could quite happily have stood on its own. I mean, I would, I would have bought it if it was just out as a standalone release, something like that. Yeah. So that we were so like, just get it all bunged in this one package. It's just fantastic work by everyone involved in it. It's lovely, yeah, and and it's it's that thing as well, getting a bit of a professional life and a personal life from uh, from you know seeing the side of it from a daughter as well. So it's uh, yeah, really really well put together. Yeah, and that big finish, and that the, the Sadie, her daughter's doing some work with Big Finish, isn't she? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and that just reminded me, and we'll, we'll come to Victorian musicals later, but that did remind me that that was the big to happen in Victorian musicals it's quite a while the, the, if an, um, the, there's, there's, a, there's a few examples one in particular one of the biggest stars was called Mary Lloyd and after she and she had this hugely successful show that she did for like 20 years and, and after she died her daughter took over as took, just took on the name and, and sort of everyone nobody nobody thought it really was her mm. everyone knew it was her daughter but it wasn't billed as such it was billed and presented as if it was still her and it sort of and basically became like what we now call a tribute act show and, and in a way that that's what seems to sort of be happening here because um, Caroline John's daughter's got involved as well hasn't she yeah and it's like it's like, but, that, but yeah, that's that's a nice thing for the the next generation, another generation to be doing, and and it keeps it keeps it keeps it loved, and and obviously it's very niche, but it but it's it, it there's a really nice vibe to it. Yes. They recast Harry as well. I'm just look having a look. I haven't heard that. Well, no, um, no, I don't think that's it. Return Return of the Cyberman. Oh, of course, yeah. So if they're, yeah, they're doing the if they're doing that, it's got Harry in it, so they're going to need to, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Have a look. One of Patrick Trout, Christopher and... Naylor, whoever Christopher Naylor is. Hello, Christopher yeah. Naylor, if you're listening, we look forward to hearing <laughs> from you. Yes, good on you. Uh, one of Patrick Troughton's sons plays the second Doctor in those um, Nest Cottage, one of the series of Nest Cottage audios as well. The, the ones that Tom Baker did before he signed up to Big Finish. Oh, they're, they're, they're mad and really yeah. fun, aren't they? Yeah, the poor, okay. poor mayors. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is, yeah, it's, it's much more like reading a Doctor Who comic strip. But it's still Doctor Who, you know, it's got bookended with the theme music and everything. But um, but it's its own little world where the Doctor actually just is Tom Baker, even more oh, yeah. so than on screen. That would be brilliant. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he's still, he's, he's still technically Doctor Who, but, you know, it's just Tom Baker being Tom Baker. Calling everyone darling and things like that. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> oh, they start off sort of half narrated and, and half acted, and then I think by by the end they're all like full cast dramas, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I think they I don't know whether they get a bit more budget or whether they just decide to do it a bit more, a bit more um, straight down the line. But yeah, and it gets really epic as well, doesn't it? And and that's I, I bought the CDs when they came out, but um, when that one that one's now up on Audible, if you've got an Audible credits or if you fancy taking it out, you can get the entire thing, which I think is like five series of four stories in each one, and the entire thing is, is on as a box set for one credit. So if you if you try out an Audible thing, you're just bought for choice for Doctor Who things on there, but um, that that one in particular might get overlooked because it's kind of not it's not big finish and it's not quite an audio book. But for, yeah, from one credit, you can get a whole stack of it of Tom going going full on. That's brilliant. 
talking of audio and Sarah, another bonus on here before is um, the Pescatonians. Yeah. Okay. The, the original Doctor Who audio audio release, really, isn't it? It's it's the, the original Big Finish. Yeah. And and sort of like it's almost a remake of Fury from the Deep, except it's a giant shark monster instead yeah. of seaweed, basically, <laughs> isn't it? Victor Pemberton kind of has reused his one script because yeah. he he did he did another horror. There's, there's a really good 1970s horror thing that he wrote, which I can't remember its name now, but it crops up on Radio 4 Extra from time to time. And that also is about an evil sea monster that comes up and, and, and pretty much goes along the same, through the same stages. But um, it's, it's, and I had that tape when I was a kid, and that was my main indication of what the Tom Baker career must have been like. And it, and it just seems so scary. Uh, and also, like, the Doctor and Sarah at the end are like, we, we all they track down the well spoiler, but they they gleefully kill the pescaton that's come to Earth and its entire planet as well. It's like hooray, the evil pescaton race has been exterminated and eradicated. Off we go, and that's <laughs> kind of more that's more of a Patrick Trouton thing to do, isn't it? It was quite yeah. quite handy when it came to obliterating monsters. I came to the pescatons through the Target novelisation first. Um, I don't know if I even realised that it was a novelisation of a of an audio story rather than just a, uh, a TV story. Um, I think later on, from Doctor Who magazine, I won a box set of CDs that had uh, the Pescatons in it, um, Exploration Earth, which is on here as well. Um, it had Whatever Happened to Sarah Jane, um, and maybe Genesis of the Daleks. Uh, Slipback, sorry, that's the other one, Slipback. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's an, odd, that's an odd one in its own right, isn't it? Yeah, very, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, ex- ex- <laughs> Some of the little looks and crannies on, on the Blu rays have the most amazing things. There's, have you heard yet? Yeah, there's a tucked away on one of the discs, there's the audio of an interview that Tom Baker did on BBC Radio West Midlands here in Birmingham promoting the release of the Pescatons. Um, and, uh, and in that, actually, he talks about the movie in that. He says he's really looking forward to making a movie next year. Um, and uh, that, uh, I, uh, and they play a few clips of it. And the DJ, who's a kind of local legend um, around the Midlands, who've like presented this show for about fifty years, is completely enraptured in, in the in the clips that they play, and keeps wanting to uh, to go back to it and finish it off. It's amazing that these little things exist at all. And in that, Tom Tom says that the Pescatons is a, a charity. Uh, release or still part in some way it was going to raise funds for um, for what's now called Scope uh, which used to be called something else uh, and that's the charity that there's an, a Doctor Who anthology coming out for this year um, which of, of short stories and things including my first ever published bit of Doctor Who writing so I'm quite excited about that that's a very tenuous plug you need to follow you need to follow Who Hats on Twitter and Matthew Rimmer, who is the, uh, the, the, the face behind the hat, who is putting that together. But that's to raise funds for Scope, which is the same charity that the Pescatons raise money for. So that's a coincidence. Coincidences. Brilliant. I'll put a link to the, in the show notes to that as well. Sorry, that was a massive diversion, I know, but I've got to put a plug in for that somewhere. <laughs> I know, it's got 10 minutes to get to, but well done. Um, uh, what... When did you write it? Um, uh, last month, okay. uh, and it's just a it's just a short story. I've written a short story, uh, which is a kind, of, a, a kind of the short story I've written is a kind of spin-off diversion from um, uh, in consequence of something that happens in the two doctors and uh, the doctor and Perry set about uh, writing a wrong 
uh, and it's called The Botchaby Inheritance. And, and uh, sounds fucking great, mate. <laughs> I wondered why you were going there. I could have gone either way. <laughs> the Oscar, uh, Doctor Who and the Oscar Botchaby Chronicles, <laughs> honestly. I know, big finish, say it three times and I'll get a box set. I could totally go with this. Uh, and... Uh, it's only it's a very short story. They're, they're mostly but but there's, there's 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 actual proper big names contributing to it as well, and there's going to be artwork and things like that in it. And it's called Time Scope because it's about time travel and the uh, and the Got theme of the, and the theme of the and it's to raise money for Scope. And the theme of the anthology is um, sort of togetherness and, and bridging gaps and things like that because Matthew, who's organising it, was going to be spending this summer doing loads of sponsored walks and things to raise money for them and obviously can't at the moment because those things have all been cancelled so he's doing this instead and it's coming out in june it's a great all right well i should definitely get that just to figure out how you're going to doctor who in the resurrection of oscar watch should be <laughs> <laughs> uh, no spoilers and, and no guarantees also okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant i'll look forward to that uh, so, um, as well as the other extras on here, we get um, a new series of Behind the Sofas. Yes. This time around, we've just got the two sofas with Tom Baker, Louise Jameson, and Philip Hinchcliffe on one, uh, with Sophie Aldred and Peter Purvis on the other. Doesn't Philip Hinchcliffe do a lot of man spreading? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've written that down. Have you? Yes. Man's running at Philip Hinchcliffe. Also, I mean, how is, he's one of those people who's just looked exactly the same for about 40 years. Mm. And, and I don't quite know. I think he must have been about 20 when he produced Doctor Who. He was, uh, really? He really was, wasn't he? It's horrifying. Yeah, it's like, okay. um, that's what I should have achieved by that point in my life. That's right. Well, look, come on, you've got your short story coming out. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, there we go. Watch out, world. But, um, but, um, yeah, they're really nice, aren't they? And, and, and Louise Jameson is just resplendent and just, she's just a glow of, of loveliness and, and sort of glamour without being at all showy about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's utterly, utterly decent, hugely decent and warm and excellent person. That's yeah. a random selection of words, but there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's... Yeah, it's a good it's, it's a good sofa thing. I think the Sophie and Peter Purvis combination is quite funny. Um, uh, yeah, it is, especially when they go. Yeah, it's kind of odd seeing people you really like and do associate with Doctor Who, watching Doctor Who, and and them having no idea what's going on at all. I mean, we sort of know that they're seeing obviously some kind of highlights compilation and and commenting on it. But then it's odd when they leave a clip in the compilation of them being confused by something that actually was explained. Like they're really confused when Mr. Sims starts snorting like a pig. Mm-hmm. Cause I guess they didn't actually watch all six episodes of, of talents and they missed the bit where it's explained that he's got the brain of a pig. And they're just like, Oh, why is he doing that? So I thought that was an odd clip to include, but, um, but just the, just the general vibe coming off them is, is lovely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's lovely. I think the, um, it's great getting Peter Burris and Sophie Aldred cause they come from kind of opposite ends of the, the original series as well um and their perspective of people that don't know that much about doctor who but have been to a lot of doctor who conventions so they kind of recognize costumes and story titles and stuff um and they're seeing them in context i guess for the first time 
so they've maybe seen like an Eldrad or a, uh, you know, an Andy Pandy kind of costume at a convention once and thought, oh, that's a bit weird. And then uh, they finally get to see where it comes from. It's quite nice. Yeah, that's such a weird way of getting to experience it. Yeah. <laughs> You're that, that's that guy I've sat next to on panels for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and Tom, Tom, he obviously can't remember as much as um, Louise Jameson and Philip Hinchcliffe, but uh, it's just all those little anecdotes that you that you've got to take with a pinch of salt. But um, the one about um, he said about the the old lady coming up to him, and he said, "I oh, people come up to me, and I always say that we used to work together." And she said, "No, we used to be married." I've heard that before. Yeah. But I think there's, um, there's a, a story like that in his autobiography as well, like the first volume, as it is now, about his son approaching him as well at a convention, I think, who he didn't recognise. <laughs> so something happens to him quite often. But yeah, I, I love the behind the sofas. Um, it's a both similar thing to you, Pete, about the, uh, the amount of time that the disc takes to get going. Um, like I feel yeah. like the the opening music is too long for um, yeah. for the length of the feature. Um, you end up seeing uh, the same little clips of them again and again and again. So I, I tend to. Just I know that's that bugged the hell out of me. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Gogglebox is the same. My other half's a big Gogglebox fan, and um, uh, and I think it's okay. But he really likes it. But even then, every time we watch it, it's like the opening titles get a little bit longer each time as they put in more clips of them all being funny and it's like is it just the opening titles down with it but that's that's a very very minor quibble because it's a very oh, nice yeah. bonus feature oh definitely yeah yeah yeah. I, I, I do appreciate them it's, um, yeah I mean there's, there's not much to criticise on these um, sets at all is there really like they are absolutely fantastic there isn't enough so lucky that... there isn't enough Janet Fielding though in there should be a hundred percent Janet Fielding in all behind the sofas. You hit something there. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. In fact, they should probably go back and reissue them. I would, I would buy this again just to have Janet Fielding's commentary on the whole of season fourteen. I'll happily rebuy it in a few years' time if they do that. Let's hope there's a defective disc somewhere that means they can go and do that. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what determines because some of them they have three sofas worth of people, don't they? Um, whether just I guess if they spent the money on on the the other um, features and documentaries, whether uh, you know that kind of cuts down on the yeah, you just don't need it. You just it just felt like on some of the others it was like, well, okay, you're a fan of Doctor Who, or you you're a writer of the new stuff or something, and I'm like, yeah, okay, but I kind of I kind of want to hear from classic era folks mm. um, and you just can't beat it when they've actually got an anecdote about the thing that they're watching I mean it's, it's awesome no, I'll tell you what just don't spend, don't do any of the on the next box I don't have any of the people that were in it just have Russell and Stephen mm. on a sofa yeah. with some, <laughs> and with some booze actually yes and, and Janet Fielding those yes. those <laughs> that's it <laughs> Absolutely yeah. right. I'm raising that with Chris Chapman the next convention where we're at. <laughs> Wouldn't it be a much better use of time not to have Peter Davison and Matthew Waterhouse <laughs> and whatever? Just to have <laughs> no, I feel guilty because I like them too. Oh, okay. No, I do. I do. It's just like <laughs> yeah. you've got only so much money to spend. So. Yeah, that's um, true. Can you imagine the the like the the Peter Capaldi box set? 4K, 8K remaster in whatever, 
um, <laughs> where they do on the sofa with those guys. Yeah, that's what we want. But like, you know, Russell has Russell done a commentary on a classic series thing. He did the Green just... Death, didn't he, on the special edition DVD with with Katie Manning? I think he did one episode or something, didn't he? Yeah. Which one? Because because David Tennant. Oh, is, that, is it Five Doctors? David Tennant. Yeah, Five Doctors. Doctors and, Pete, and it, Phil yeah. Collinson. Uh, yeah, and that's yeah. when David Tennant's going on about like the door handle of Rassilon and the you know the, <laughs> yeah. the soap bar of Rassilon and whatever. Yeah, he's <laughs> very good at that. Speaking of Rassilon, <laughs> very very good. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. it. <laughs> the dangerous assassin. Yeah, which, which apparently I, I've spent my life. I spent my entire life under the impression that, that it was originally called the Dangerous Assassin. Oh, so and did I. The, the notes on on this Blu-ray have rectified that. Told me that was wrong. It was just literally a mistake. Somebody wrote Dangerous Assassin on a list at the BBC just wrongly. It was never actually supposed to be called that. Apparently, that's wow. according to the new production footnotes on this. Which oh, aren't they? Do, do you watch it with them? I, usually, my first watch through of any new discs is with the uh, production notes on and on I've this one I've never done that through this never. oh it's so good it's just like having just the most knowledgeable Doctor Who fan in the world sat next to you Oops. well Sorry I've got that now Pete I've got that now over Skype <laughs> I think you're insincere <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah so all these little tidbits but it, it can pull you out of the drama because you can just get hooked on finding out the fact that they had a big argument about who had the last sandwich for lunch that day on filming or whatever it is. <laughs> I wouldn't know but, that. <laughs> but, um, it was Pertwee, wasn't it? Well, it would usually, always, always, yeah. Even the stories he's not in. But, uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, he'd turn up and just eat them, yeah. The Deadly Assassin was a story that I already knew before I'd ever seen any old Doctor Who because my friend's older brother was in Dwas or the Dwas, as they always called it, like this is in the early 80s, and had managed to get audio recordings of a handful of stories just on little C90 cassettes, and Deadly Assassin was one of them. So I knew I knew the soundtrack by heart, but I right. had no idea what was happening, at least through most, all the Matrix scenes. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's 25 minutes on the BBC special effects tape. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and every, yeah, and... Um, and so it was quite remarkable to see what it actually looked like when I, when I finally did. And, and it's never looked never looked better. And, and the sound is a big thing on this, because I don't know if you've tried, but Deadly Assassin is one that Mark Ayres has done yeah, yeah. Easter answer. So I watched it with headphones on, and it is it is really immersive. It's not over the top. They're just nice little things. There's just a little bit, just echo when they're in a, in a big room. Uh, or there's um, sometimes when someone's shouting from off screen, you, it's over on one corner. Um, but it's, it's the, the best thing is the opening titles are really cleverly done because when it starts, the first Dumdy Dum is just in mono, and then when it gets to the U bit, it bursts into Dolby surround sound, and it's uh, and it's like it's just jumped out of the TV and enveloped you. Which is I think, a, yeah, have a little. I once I, I once went to a talk which Mark has. I went to several talks that Radiophonic Workshop have done, but Mark has, has he can talk about how he reconstructed that theme for like an hour 
and and he and he basically has it on the on, it brings a Mac along with him and he has all the channels and he goes you know this is the bit where it's going that's time for the engine uh, <laughs> yes but but uh, in all the different layers uh, and build, and builds it up so you can see what a labour of love it is to do that but um, I didn't notice too many kind of uh, like when he does the five point one I think he just expands the stage and the dynamic range massively because you're going back to the original tapes and you can, you know, get, get a good full oomph out of it versus, you know, having sort of Dolby Atmos type helicopters flying over you and stuff. There's very little sort of left and right channel or, or base um, going on. So it's like a, a nice improvement. I, I feel some of the other ones were huge improvements, whereas this was just sort of, Nice. Yeah, he doesn't go over the top or anything. Yeah. But fucking hell, that Matrix episode goes on forever. <laughs> yeah, is it? Is it just padding, or is it actually a really clever subversion of the entire concept of what a Doctor Who episode ought to be? I sort of think like, both, <laughs> but but they were they obviously challenged themselves to do something that was just nothing like a normal episode three, didn't they? Mm. Do you think the Wachowski? Brothers, now sisters, uh, saw the matrix, uh, the deadly assassin before they made the matrix because it's it is the real matrix. It's the first time the matrix was yeah. done. Yeah, yeah, and and it is so so bang on. I mean, Spandrel isn't quite Keanu Reeves, but um, <laughs> he's got a bit of charisma. <laughs> he's got charisma, he's probably got more. Than Keanu Actually, Engin, Engin's the best. Engin would be Keanu Engin, Reeves, Engin, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. Spandrel is basically they say that this is the story that the Doctor doesn't have a companion in but really it's just Spandrel Spandrel send the whole time going who was the master what's the matrix what's how did you get to be Chancellor without <laughs> knowing what the matrix is and is it Bernard Horsfall's 400th appearance in Doctor Who so far uh, probably approximately yes and yeah and I love the idea that this is the judge, him at he is that goth was actually the, the judge in the war games that he yeah. also played and yeah that, that's that's lovely <laughs> definitely yeah it's um uh, and the episode one is quite remarkable because it's it's the it's like the end of a doctor who story it ends with the doctor grabbing a rifle and trying to shoot someone that is very good it's is really shocking isn't it yeah, it's just really Doctor Who just tried to shoot someone, and and it turns out he wasn't trying to shoot the president. He was trying to shoot the guy who was trying to shoot the president. But that's still a very shocking thing for the Doctor to uh, to end up having to do. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? And then I think the next time he comes to Gallifrey, which is the invasion of time, there's that shocking thing that he's been working for those aliens uh, all along, and then and then kind of reveals that he's betrayed them. Uh, so it's something, something about when he goes to Gallifrey there's, uh, yeah and he, kills them all just with a massive laser gun at the end of episode 6 yeah that's one of the fun it's like Doctor we've only got 10 minutes left what are you going to do it's nearly <laughs> the end of episode 6 oh haven't I mentioned this massive laser I'll just go and shoot all the aliens with it <laughs> but things are a little more sophisticated in this particular tale Time Lord trials have certainly changed a lot over the years, haven't they? Because his trial in this is is pretty much straight out of Crown Court mm. compared to his previous one, which was much more godly and ethereal, and his subsequent one, which is much more sort of against celebrity affairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> he's a good artist. The doctor draw, you know, and the doctor's doodling uh, during the trial. Uh, he doodles pictures of Spandrel and Goth, and, and they're actually quite good. He could have had a, a spare line of work doing those um, court pictures that they have to do on, on the regional news. Mm. But um, maybe that's what he did used to do, and that's why he got bored and left <laughs> Yeah, That was his job. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's one of those stories which I, I really enjoy it but it's one of those ones that, that sort of unravels a bit when you think about it that, that sort of thing of the master was only defeated because he lured the doctor there if he hadn't lured the doctor there I, he would have he would have just got what he wanted <laughs> yes yes <laughs> uh, that's the master's fatal flaw showing off yeah. it's just there's like a few films like that like um, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen the um, the guy that assembles the extraordinary gentleman turns out to be the bad guy and then he's defeated by them you think see what you did wrong there it was uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. uh, but it is a, it's a like episode three, I think just looks fantastic. Um, and um, obviously it had ramifications for Doctor Who as a series further down the line that um, Mary Whitehouse got a knickers in a twist about, but um, it's... Um, yeah, that was, that was the crucial moment, wasn't it? That was the moment that Philip Hinchcliffe lost his job. Well, mm. kind of got promoted out of it, so it's not, it wasn't that bad for him. But um, yeah, that final, that cliffhanger to part three with the Doctor being drowned. yeah. Apparently, it says in the, the production notes say that um, they filmed something far more explicit in, in episode four when the Doctor... Oh, yes, by the way, in episode four, the, doc, the Doctor shoots um, Goth with a poison dart and then like a few weeks later he's all snippy at Leela just with her, her Janice thorns, um, which is a bit hypocritical of it. Yeah. But they, they filmed... They actually filmed him holding Goth under the water and drowning him to death... Um, and, and then decided that was going a little bit far and maybe we shouldn't include it. But, um, but, with the, but, the, but their rationale was, well, this is all just a dream. It's not, it's not real. The, mm. the, they are harming each other, but it's not, it's not actually poisoning him or drowning him. But, um, but yeah, they, they, they rolled it back a bit. Yeah, I think it's not perhaps the problem, that Wasn't the problem that it was a freeze frame? Did I? Yeah, that was, and that it just, yeah. That they'd been told if they didn't, that if they kept it short, it would be okay, and, and they said they would, and then they sort of got carried away again, and didn't keep it. <laughs> and then they sort of regret. I think they said they knew they'd crossed the line as soon as it went out, and that they were going to get in, in the shit for it, as they did. And, and then it got when they repeated it, they went back and edited it out to make it well, and shortened it a bit, mm. but they shortened it on master tape so they had no copy left of the original version at the BBC but we got it back from Australia or somewhere right. okay. I think stuff like that the um, the National Viewers and Listeners Association it, it, they just assume that kids are idiots don't they um, th this is the trouble the idea that kids can't tell a TV show from reality um, it's just I don't know seems like madness yeah, and who's Doctor Who that crops up on the same disc? A documentary, is, but they're all um, the kids are all say. I mean, you can almost think of the kids being coached to say this because what they're saying is so perfect. They all just keep saying, "Well, yeah, scary stuff happens on Doctor Who, but we know it's not real, and, mm -hmm. and it's nice when Doctor Who ends that we know we're safe." But but I think that is exactly how kids take it, particularly when I mean it was never gruesome. Yeah. It's a slightly different thing, but the, you know the idea that you know watching TV can. Uh, 
make children uh, replicate the violence sort of thing. Um, when I was at uni, I, I did English, but I did like a bit of a um, like a media studies kind of uh, minor sort of thing. And um, I can't remember what it's called now, but you know the, the experiment where they put the kids in a room with one of those dolls that you, you knock over and it rolls back up again. Um, and uh, so they just didn't give the kids any instructions. They put them in a room with a doll and they immediately started like bopping this doll um, so that it would roll back up again. And um, oh, no, actually, sorry, no, I'm telling the story wrong. They showed them a video of, uh, of, of that, the doll being used for that. Then they put them in a room and the kids went over and started bopping the doll and they said, well, look, they're emulating the violence that they've seen on TV. Um, and the course that I did, they were saying, but it's patently ridiculous because there's nothing, yeah. literally nothing else you can do with one of those dolls. Um, and they weren't watching an actual TV show. They were watching a video of somebody <laughs> slapping a doll around. But one of my flatmates at uni was doing psychology, and they, um, they used the same experiment to them to say, no, look, uh, according to her anyway, my flatmate, she said, no, like this experiment proves it, that kids are violent if they watch violence on TV. And I was saying, like, the same university are drawing, like, totally the opposite conclusions from the same study, uh, depending on what course you're on. I can't remember it's yeah, quite a famous I mean, experiment I mean also they're going to have learned that there are no consequences to it they're going mm. to have learned that it's a harmless thing to do so why not yeah it's a toy that you can't play with in any other way um, any other <laughs> meaningful <laughs> way that makes sense yeah well, look, I mean I'm glad the deadly assassin's never been shown in a country with guns so <laughs> everything's fine <laughs> Uh, and of course it's been said before but the title is um is a bit tautological isn't it well, not tautological but a non-deadly assassin doesn't really make sense yeah the the, the a non-deadly the, the non-deadly assassin would be literally the worst assassin ever yeah, yeah it should have been the deadly assassin of death just to <laughs> be consistent <laughs> yeah at work once, somebody um, somebody described a colleague as the deadly assassin um, because <laughs> they always like grasp people up. And I thought, would you say that if you weren't a Doctor Who fan? But it was still very much. I was at an age where I didn't want to out myself at work as a Doctor Who fan, so I never sort of said, "Are you making a Doctor Who reference?" Or have you just have you just coined that phrase? <laughs> was the person involved like? really sort of burnt up with ping pong balls for eyes. <laughs> <laughs> no, they didn't mention. make anything when this kept went out. It surprised, it surprised me to realise that when this went out, episode one, it immediately just says Peter Pratt as the master, mm. even though there yeah, was no... Re- yeah, it just wasn't the thing that they really cared about back then. In fact, they, they probably just thought, well, some people will realise, some people won't. Uh, but there was none of this, I'm the master, which we get a bit too yeah. often nowadays, if you ask me. Not that I don't I like them all. I do like them all. But it's like we've had... There's, they, they, you know, it, it was quite yeah. refreshing in a way. <laughs> like, yeah, he's a master, whatever. This is the, sto- the story's the important thing. Yeah, it is. I mean, I'm still kind of slightly annoyed that they revealed, spoiler alert, John Sim was in The World Enough in Time. Mm-hmm. I was like, you could have just... like I mean, that... that is. I like, think they... Yeah. Do you know, it's like the ratings needed it, probably, but... It's like, oh, come on. Because when those surprises happen, they're great. And it, it is proper kind of um, the perjury and uh, all these kind of things. Um, that 
under the fact. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, they didn't. They didn't call him. They didn't credit him as an anagram of Peter Pat Mudgy. Why would they? He, nobody knew who he was. He was yeah. an opera singer, apparently. That's another fact from the production notes. That's why he got the uh, he got the job because of his amazing vocal skills. So, oh. who has the best master voice? Ooh. That's hard because uh, because they're so situational. Do, do you have a strong opinion in yourself? I do. I might might do could do a Twitter poll now. Uh, I think Jeffrey Beavers. Jeffrey Beavers does fantastic work for Big Finish. He's so he creepy, is. isn't he, with his voice? And it's, it's all with the voice on that. It's, it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. He's written he some, of it, some good stuff of his own, actually. Um, uh, you know, because when we were at Vought, he was there. He Did, did you go to that? Oh, yeah. Talking? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he talked about also how he, he used to do abridgments for, he used to be the scriptwriter for the Radio 4 book at bedtime, which is where they take a a, um, a popular modern book usually right. and uh, cut it down into five or ten, minutes. fifteen minute readings, yeah. yeah. He, used to, he used to write those. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. yeah, in terms of sinisterness. He's got a very good um, big finish story, and I think it's probably quite cheap. I'm going to check. Um, while we're talking, uh, called Unintelligent Design. Uh, and, and it's him and Toby Haydock. And I think Daisy as well, um, his daughter. Um, and it's just a really nice, it's a little bit kind of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, no, it's, okay, guys, it's £2.99 on CD uh, and £2.99 on download. So help big finish during these difficult times, uh, but it's a it's a lovely little story about um, the whole kind of Elon Musk concept that we're all living in a simulation, uh, and that, that um, like Toby Hedo is this student that's kind of creating different versions of the universe or different versions of the Earth or whatever, uh, just to see the results. And like this is experiment five billion or whatever. Um, I do recommend it because you know we love Toby as well. So check that out, and I'm yeah. So still cool. looking for for Pete's um, uh, day of the Oscar botcheries on Big Finish. <laughs> the botcheries inheritance. The botcheries inheritance. <laughs> I'm going to do day of the Oscar botcheries. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't work. It's not a pun. Of- oh, okay. <laughs> Oh, God, you're already getting protective over your copyright. I am. Can I, can I buy the rights? How do I buy the rights to Oscar Bocciavi? <laughs> Robert Holmes Estate. Where yeah. are we? Time uh, to talk about the, 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 the face of evil of death. <laughs> the evil of the face of the evil of death. That's right. The terror of the evil of the face of evil of death. <laughs> it, is, it is a really nice... Um, concept that you sit down to watch a story called Doctor Who, The Face of Evil, and it turns out to be his face. Yeah, it's a really, really effective model as well, isn't it? The um, the, uh, the 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 carving, um, you know, compared yeah. to I guess similar things at the time. I think it's uh, it's a really striking one. It gives a sense of scale when you look at it. I've never seen this. This is the last. Tom story I've ever seen so I've only seen it like twice 
Like, yeah. I don't feel like, because I kind of, like, went, you know, the stuff I knew, which was kind of Lana Ward onwards, and then I went back and did Mary Tam, and then Sarah Jane, and I, the, Leela, the Leela era, so to speak, I never sort of, mm. I just never watched her introductory story until mm. um, now. Yeah, because it's one of the ones that isn't um, particularly a pastiche of another famous thing. It's, 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 it's although it's got it's got sort of themes and everything that we might be familiar with, but it's but it is a, an, an original, really original for a Doctor Who story. The, the idea that the Doctor caused this thing to happen and then he goes back to sort it out. Someone was saying on Twitter the other day. Now I can't remember if it's in the novelisation of The Face of Evil. Or the novel, yeah, I think it is. In the novelization of the Face of Evil, it specifically says that the Doctor went back. The, the, the Doctor had the, the adventure that started all this in the middle of Robot. Um, Terry Nation, uh, sorry, um, Terry Sticks um, makes that quite specific in um, in, in the novelization of, uh, of Face of Evil because it's uh, yeah, because because actually there's not much scope for him to have had had mm. that adventure. Because they, they could have done it with Pertwee's face, but then, of course, they wouldn't, because that, that would then ruin the whole point of it being yeah. they're recognising when he arrives. Is that feeling of, have I missed an episode? Like, that happened mm. with Time Lash. I was like, what? Yeah. Like, we were still <laughs> yeah. white? What? <laughs> yeah, you can feel a bit sort of short-changed by that, can't you? Like, like Time Lash did, did that to me. I was like, wait, wait, wait. yeah. Yeah, the, um, the time you get to... The- it's just got a story to by the time you get to the Colin Baker era, he's, he's always sort of uh, bumping into or looking up old friends, isn't he, from from unseen adventures like the uh, the, the captain of the Hyperion and um, Arthur Stengos and the um, the other Asmail, is it from uh, the Twin Dilemma? Captain Tom, Captain Tonka Travers. Yes. What? Yeah. Yeah. And so and, and that that just <laughs> and, and that just, for no reason that doesn't achieve anything. It doesn't help the story along. <laughs> Um, it, it's just bunged in because they, they want that to be a thing that happens all the time. Yeah. But yeah, this is the fir- this is definitely the first time it happens on screen, isn't it? That, uh, or at least the, the, the plot is all about. I guess you could say the rescue. He, he, is it, the plot sort of relates to the fact that the Doctor has been there before, mm. but it's not. But it's not a sequel to his previous story. It's, it's not. It's not saying that. And now I must finish that untold, unfinished business, which is what the Face of Evil does. And yeah, and and Leela is just Leela is just such an amazing change to the notion of what a companion can be. After Joe and Sarah have both been very much the the um, apprentice kind of characters, where she's quite. There's a great scene where the doctor and the doctor are going through the woods, and um, the and the doctor starts talking, and she just turns around and goes to him. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he's, ta- he's slightly taken aback by it because it's like the companion he doesn't say it, but you know the companion oh doesn't tell God. the doctor to shush. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, no, this is you're on my turf. It's almost hinting that you know you could be. She could think that he was her assistant, and that's just such a. Uh, I think that is why they, they they really put Sarah's vulnerability at, to the Mac in her last couple of stories, just to give us, mm. like I said earlier, just to give us a uh, a real contrast when the new one turned up. Yeah, when you said that, then it, it like I knew it, but it, um, it it felt odd to think that she's only two companions removed from Joe Grant. That is such a huge difference, isn't it? Um, yeah, this, uh, can't, imagine, can't imagine you're on Pertwee. That would be a hell of a combination. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it occurred to you when you said that about? He spent, the, he spent, he spent, all, 
He spent all his time telling her which wines she ought to be drinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only sardonic ones. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the very best. When you said about the Doctor sort of causing this, um, I guess that's a bit of a theme of this series, isn't it? Because in The Mask of Mandragora, he brings the Mandragora energy yeah. to Earth. And that's then yeah. the Hand of Fear, yeah. uh, well, the kind of landing in that, um, in that quarry and then just ignoring the siren for ages and stuff. Um, and then the deadly assassin, he, he goes back to Gallifrey, although he's been summoned, he's, uh, you know, kind of him going back to Gallifrey kind of sets in, in motion the train of events. Mm. Yeah, it's very Doctor-centric, I hadn't thought of it like that. Yeah, it like, comes up and throughout, doesn't it, yeah. And then you've got all the stuff um, in this series, a lot about kind of science and, and science gone too far or science versus superstition and religions a, a big theme throughout as well isn't it yeah yeah in most stories yeah and we are back to the religion is a trick is basically mm. a theme of this this season that, that um it, as um uh, as Chang finds out in Talons that and and is the case in Face of Evil too it it is very much that no you turn to science and science will give you the truth which is something that's very unambiguously that in this period whereas Mm -hmm. in the the previous years and subsequent years they were a bit more um, a bit more seeing both sides of it Mm, BBC balance yes (laughs) (laughs) There's a bit I, I just I put in my notes here that on the um, behind the sofa for, for Phase of Evil, um, uh, Louise Jameson says that she partly based Leela on the five-year-old girl called Sally who lived next door, and I just immediately now expect there to be a Toby Haydock interview with Sally. <laughs> we have to find her. She, she bequeathed Leela, and if she turns out to be like, <laughs> if it cuts to her, she's now this middle-aged woman holding holding a knife between her teeth. <laughs> 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 Pretty fantastic, but that that thing of being fearless and uh, but also keenly intelligent, but also knowing that you don't know it all is is, is just really it makes for a really likable character. Mm. She she's so great, Louise Jameson as well. The the work that she puts into it, um, the because uh, I think it's her idea not to contract any words as well, isn't it? Um, and and just the way she moves and reacts to things all the way through, she's she's so consistent. Whereas uh, you know, kind of Jamie and other characters in the past have, have adapted much more quickly to um, technology and and and, and concepts. Uh, she she retains that sort of innocence, doesn't she, or that um, uh, her her own world view from where she came from. Yeah, and yet she she's she's so clever um, in, yeah. in the performance in never letting it get in the way. So there's never, they never get into the uh, the Katerina problem of you know. But what is a door handle, Doctor? Yeah. It, it's it's it, it, it's she just flows with it, you know, and, and can work around it. And just like Fraser Hines had a way of going, oh, I that. Whenever the Doctor started explaining some scientific thing, mm. she's got her own way of just quizzically listening and then giving Leela's take on it, which always makes perfect sense. Yeah, she's she's brilliant. So then, her first full story uh, as a, as a fully fledged companion, the Robots of Death. Yeah, and it just she gets just such a flying start. That that intro scene, 
where she's uh, with, with the, the boxes and explaining why the TARDIS yeah. is bigger on the inside. It's, yeah, it's really. just hang. It's just so quick and so perfect. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, she's. Uh... And when she's and, uh, you know, saying to the Doctor, "I thought the yo-yo was part of the magic," and and he's <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. he's gruff with her, and we're completely on her side because she's what she's saying is makes perfect sense. Definitely, um, and, and great, probably in her first story to. A, bring her to the, this kind of civilization, this kind of really high-tech, very futuristic, modern, uh, you know, the people, you know, they're not having to hunt for food or anything like that. It's um, it's, it's a totally different uh, kind of way of life to what she's used to. Uh, you get that um, fish-out-of-water stuff, don't you, that, um, that she does really well. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting. Some somewhere on the notes, it mentions that she, um, that the, one of the very first drafts when they were thinking about the companion to replace uh, Sarah was one of their first ideas was that she would actually be a Cockney Eliza Doolittle type character, literally from London, and so they probably would would have done Towns earlier, and she would have she would have been a girl from that world, mm. and then taken off to, to this to add to space as, as her first adventure, and just either but in either way round, it just works really well. Mm. And her reaction to the uh, the creepy metal men is just it, it it perfectly encapsulates why they're so creepy and in the metal men. That bridge set, though, is ghastly. <laughs> it's like Blake Seven meets fucking Laura Ashley. <laughs> Just, or oh, Allied Carpets. Uh, you know, it's you, glamorous. Yeah, but... It's just the sofas and the... I mean, look, it, it really it, it hammers home the whole kind of... They're lounging around on sofas with, with robot servants. Um... Uh, around it, but yeah, no, it's uh, yes, um, and we are. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, but yeah, you actually say yeah, we are supposed to see them as as decadent fools in effect, mm-hmm. and it's just Toos is pro- probably the only one, isn't she? Amazing, Pamela Salem. Oh, she should be as famous as Joan Collins or more so. It's 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 amazing that she's a Doctor Who secret almost. I mean, she's done other things too. I know, but you know what I mean. We all Doctor Who fans know how amazing Pamela Salem is, and it's just weird that other a lot of other people don't because mm. she's just got that quality. She's in that absolutely in that top tier league. Definitely, yeah. It's. It's a series that shows off that kind of age-old Doctor Who thing, isn't it? Like you're saying about the sets there, Colin, that Mask of Mandragora and the Talons of Wen Chiang look absolutely fantastic um, because the BBC can do the, the period costumes and everything. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, anything but they, like, they have to, like, spray paint these weird kind of <laughs> ornaments or, or something and... Yeah. yeah, the future is more expensive. You you can't just go and get it from the scenery stores. You've yeah. got to actually build it from scratch, haven't you? Yeah, That's it. yeah it's certainly not. A, it's certainly not a criticism of the people that designed and built the set. It's mm. more that it just is like a ghastly look. Right? <laughs> <Yes>. So. <laughs> I think the the idea of the makeup and things like that's very good at, at showing you know a different a different culture and stuff. It's um, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and we've got one of, one of the most multiracial casts probably for mm. the, the the series has had up to that point in, in a way that we would just not even register now as being unusual, but that in the mid-70s was fairly unusual still uh, for, for, for casts to be, to be that diverse and for it to not be a, a plot point particularly. Mm. Um, uh, and but just the, the the delivery of of the scares and the and, and the jumps on the killings is just so excellently mm. uh, directed. I, th- I think this is one of the best directed Doctor Who stories of them all. Yeah, and even yeah, even probably this is the story maybe this season with the most female characters because it's well, it's a hundred percent more than next week's yeah, story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, and, and last week's. But last week, the only female we got was um, the computer, which is Helen Blatch in the, Mate- the, the Matrix computer. Yeah, uh, readout is, is is what's the name who in Twin Dilemma gets to deliver the greatest stroke worst line of all Doctor Who of uh, May my bones rot for obeying it, <laughs> which is a hell of a CV. <laughs> but then in Gall- Gallifrey, it's meant to be stuffy and arcane, so of course yeah. they're all old white men because that's. I don't know. Maybe it's just had in mind. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it is just that because it's default. I think that that exactly. They want us to look at these people and say, think, oh God, it's like the House of Lords on California. Yeah, I was going to say it's the 1922 committee. Yes, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Something never changed. Yeah, yeah. And then in the face of evil, the uh, the Doctor takes away the only female on the planet. Presumably, they die out. (laughs) They die out within a generation. There's probably some X-rated content about what happened next. <laughs> 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 um, so I didn't have too much to say. I wouldn't let, on a, I wouldn't let a robot give me a message. That's the other thing I wrote down. I would not let a robot give me a massage under any circumstances. <laughs> they're, they're, the, 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 the guys playing them are just so good. They've all got because often, particularly in old old series Doctor Who, your robot movement and your monster movement could be a bit haphazard. You'd get you'd immediately often see a couple of side men who are really getting into it, and another one that's just standing there. Yeah. Um, but these all absolutely move in unison. They've got their just neat walk and their calm voices are really sinister, and um, and the whole Art Deco look is just. Just such a clever choice, mm. particularly because it's it's Agatha Christie in space, and so they've gone for nineteen twenties and nineteen thirties stylings. Really good, good stuff. Yeah. And the ones that don't speak um, have that more kind of impassive, sinister presence as well. Yeah, and the idea, that, the disturbing idea that even among robots in the future, there's going to be a class system. That, yeah. that, that's just something that's never going to go away. It's, it's quite yeah, dystopian. Like the D the D series or whatever they are that they're dumb. Mm. There's some racism against robots for sure. Like <laughs> yes. and they're all dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you are you building up to a segue, Colin? Oh, <laughs> uh, just get <laughs> me just get me started on that. Uh, I'll just. Uh, <laughs> Just <laughs> that, basically, that basically peaks with this story, and then it's the theme that we never need to come back to. Yeah, exactly. There's no racism ever again, Doctor. <laughs> no, no. Anyway, there's a, the, what's the next one called? The 
giant rat of death. Yes, let's talk about that one really embarrassing thing that makes everyone cringe about this next story, the rat. <laughs> right. There's nothing else that makes us cringe. <laughs> no, no, no. Because, but because have, you, have, you, have you watched it yet with the new CGI rat? And I have, so, but I don't, I don't think it's that good. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Well, a CGI, I mean, it's fine. It's a CGI. It's a, a CGI rat's go. It, it, it's, it does everything. Before, but it... But it it is like it's just abrupt, isn't it? Just CGI in 1976 just just really leaps out of the screen at me as being incongruous, incongruously good in a way. Well, just incongruous, which is no disrespect to the people who've done it. I'm sure it's the best CGI rat that they could possibly be, but it's still CGI. Maybe put it, just making it much much darker so you can really see it would be the thing. Mm. All right, guys, what do you think of this story? I have views, but you go first. <laughs> I've got all the views. I've got, I, I think, <laughs> I think, I mean, obviously, I think it's racist. It's, it's doing a 19, but it's the 1970s doing their version of a 1930s thing that was phenomenally racist and saying to it, hey, actually, our twist is going to be, instead of it being phenomenally racist, it's just going to be slightly quite racist, which to today's eyes looks abominably racist. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, um, and it, but it does sit in that context. It, 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 the story immediately before it is set in the future where we've got a, re- a really multiracial cast. This is part of the, the well, possibly the culmination of, of their thing of doing the classic horror movies and they've done Frankenstein and they've done um, The Mummies. So, of course, then next they're going to do Fu Manchu, which is something that we just don't see or hear of anymore for obvious reasons. But in the um, it, it, right from the 1920s to the 1960s, Fu Manchu was huge. It was like it was as big as Sherlock Holmes, uh, and it was this supposed. Well, he was the, the villain. He's meant to be the baddie, but everyone loved him. And the story was actually about him and how all of the, the clever schemes he came up with, and the, the police who opposed him were just sort of forgettable, um, forgettable players in these stories and movies, which were completely created out of the American. Well, the movies were created out of the American. Um, obsession with the idea that uh, that the Far East was a was a was a terrible threat to our civilization, but ended up be- becoming really popular and was still being done. But I think, I think um, the last one was made with Peter Sellers in 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 the nineteen eighties, because because all of the actors like Christopher Lee did them the most times in the sixties and seventies, uh, and it was still being done into the eighties. And to modernize, it is utterly weird. It is just utterly bizarre because nobody would look at looks at him and thinks no one looks at john bennett and thinks this is obviously a chinese actor we we know that it's a white guy doing a fu manchu in the same way that he might be doing any other famous character um and so but but that to me that just it just fascinates me that 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 was seen as okay by the people who were doing it at the time lots of other people at the time were saying you really shouldn't be doing this and quite soon afterwards they stopped doing it but they were still doing i mean um uh love thy neighbor the the horrific sitcom about wouldn't it be amazing if a black guy moved in next door only started around the same time and mind your language as well all these all these programs that even at the time people were campaigning against were still just going going strong and getting massive ratings from and people were saying 
a lot of people just didn't understand why anyone else was upset by it. And eventually the message got through. So I've, I've talked for a really long time now. Have you all just hung up on me because I'm a terrible person? <laughs> uh, no, no, I, I think you've, you've, thought about, you've definitely thought about this a lot. Uh, <laughs> but no, no, it's, 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 uh, it's absolutely right. I, I, look, I just found it um, a mixture of um, brilliant design, atmosphere, smog, outside filming, um, uh, Jago and Lightfoot um, uh, slightly longer than it should have been but huge on atmosphere but really uncomfortable sometimes to watch uh, re- just in terms of like the, it's the doctor that says some of these things as well mm. right like the doc- some of the, the lines the doctor has are pretty bad and I'm like Oh, I didn't really need to hear that, you know. So um, it's uh, that that's just hugely not not fun, and not not good anymore. Do you know? It's just a cringe that that you can't get that that just obstructs everything else. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and then, yeah, and I guess I don't know. We, how well? How old were you when you first saw it? Because I first saw it when I was a kid, and and well, like eleven or something. And all that just sort of went over my head. So I developed a fondness for all of the good things about it without being at a point where I would stop to think that some people might, with good reason, have massive objections to it. But so that, that, under, that underlaying of, of fondness is already there to kind of cushion it so that my rational brain can just park the bad things about it and say, well, we deal with that. We would obviously never do that now. We would never have done that five or ten years later. And it sort of becomes like you know, an, an ivory ornament that, that at some point involved the killing of an elephant. But an elephant hasn't been killed today to make this. It's, it's, it's an old thing. So it's, it's, not, it's not a bad thing that's been done to entertain me today. It's just laying around because it was done that way then. Well, they didn't know better back then. Sort of is the excuse that stops the cringe completely overwhelming me about it. But I can see why that's entirely relative. Look, that that makes total sense. Exactly, and I, I wasn't. I didn't. I didn't see it when I was like five or anything. I saw it when I was probably like whenever the DVD came out or something. Yeah. So thirty something. Um, so, but yeah, no, it's got some. Really, I mean, like some of the some of the scenes. Uh, I mean, like with Lilo and Professor Lightfoot and. Um, it, it is all this kind of horror aspect and uh, like them escaping via the dumbwaiter and all these things. There's some, there's some really great bits in it and you do think, wow, they've really written two guest characters brilliantly, absolutely brilliantly. Like, uh, and, and that's like the, the TARDIS team of, of today with, with, with four of them. That, uh, and and I think there are there's like some before they did the Jago and like for spin-off series there was or, or around the same time maybe Big Finish did Colin Baker goes back and meets Jago and Lightfoot and they, they go that their first one huh was that their first Big Finish I Which don't know it might have been I'm, I can't <laughs> I think it's before Tom started doing them yeah this, I, I think it's after maybe the 
sparkle though. Yeah, I think I want to say after the fourth series of Jago and Lightfoot, there's two specials with Colin Baker where, because um, he, the sixth Doctor is in, I'm probably wrong, but I think it's the fourth series. Um, he's he's in that series throughout, um, as is Leela. And then at the end, he offers them a trip in the TARDIS, and you expect them to say no, but they go, yeah, go on then. So they get in the TARDIS, and they have two adventures with the Sixth Doctor, who then drops them back off, but um, in the 60s instead of the 1960s instead of the 1880s or wherever they, um, they normally reside. Um, but yeah, they, uh, they are two great stories. And the, the Jago and Lightfoot um, adventures themselves, I, I just absolutely love them. They, they're such kind of comfort listening. Um, I've, I've returned to them quite recently um, and, and been listening to them, and they're, they're just great. They, the two performances and the way they're written is, is, is brilliant. But I, uh, I think I feel the same as both of you guys there, right? um, same as UP in terms of I saw this when I was really young. I got the VHS when it came out when I was probably about uh, 11 or 12. Um, and, and like the Bond movies, really, that um, you know, watched them from as young as I can remember um, and loved them without appreciating a lot of the really problematic elements of them, which... Of course, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, good to come produced from the same, exactly the same culture producing them, yeah. Yeah, but it, and, and it, like you say, it gives you that sort of appreciation or um, moves to a sort of easing, like you say, of your, of your conscience uh, that, um, that, that, you know, that there's a, there is, especially this, there's so much to love in there. Um, but, and, and uh, Colin, um, what you said, like, I totally agree. It's, it's the disappointment of the doctor saying when he talks about, like, the little men or the you know they were chinese ruffians and things like that like if you do a story like this i think you've got to have the doctor um as the progressive voice in there um who is yeah you know kind of uh, not acting like that and, and showing that that up for what it is i guess and and that's where yeah, the, that's couple, the most disappointing yeah thing. yeah a couple of tweaks to to his dialogue would have would have future-proofed that aspect of it obviously the idea of john bennett being uh, being sort of dra- dragged up in that way would also be would always be a, a big issue mm-hmm. but then that's around you know chang, chang isn't i don't think chang is in any way meant to be a, a real chinese person in in that sense he's he's as much of a, a comic book caricature as i mean jago the 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 cowardly um snooty englishman is is, is a you know awful of hot air is is, is a character and god actually the most offensive character in it in a way is um is the, the alcoholic irishman um casey who's like I was gonna say. oh my god <laughs> yeah so it's like okay that you know it, it makes you create me cringe but there's sort of a consistency that they are just they're playing completely with these two or deliberately two-dimensional theatrical pantomime style characters but then John Bennett does put a lot of subtlety into his performance he he gives two very when he's on stage doing a show he he really um, really hams it up with the accent and everything but lets you know that when when he's off stage he doesn't do that and his accent is much more realistic and and that's digging there's a really good bonus feature um, about um, the 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 chinoiserie um craze of of what well, crazy is the wrong no maybe it is but just the trend that the, 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 there was the victorian period where all, for a while all things chinese were seen as just massively fashionable and you had all sorts of people 
going into it and I'd like building Brighton Pavilion in, in that style and building uh, the careers of people who there, there was a American who, who American guy called William Robinson who had a stage act called Chung Ling Su, which was him uh, exactly Chang style done up as this fake Chinese character, but he stayed in character the whole time. And when he was doing press interviews, he insisted on having a, um, a, a translator with him and he would just talk in this made up pretend language that was supposed to be Chinese <laughs> and his translator would have to translate into English. It was just completely bizarre, but it was all part of the act. Um, and I guess that's what, in what inspired the character of Chang within this, um, that that was actually based on a, on a sort of, on a real thing. But, um, and then the evil person in the end turns out to be a bloody Icelander, which obviously <laughs> apparently they're the worst bloody Icelandic war criminal. <laughs> um, I think, do you think Sin is such a fantastic creation? One of the creepiest things in Doctor Who. Terrific, um, isn't it? Yeah. You can't beat an evil pup. Yeah, yeah, and just the the fact that he um, that he stabs people as well, like that's not a traditional Doctor Who thing. It's you know it's kind of lasers or shrinking or people just uh, yeah. vanishing, isn't it? Like the Auton guns. It's it's so visceral and 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 the interview with um, Deep Roy, which is on there as well, which is a new interview from and that's amazing. But this guy, I mean, this guy is Hollywood, isn't he? Deep Roy has gone on to be in just everything. And and and, and uh, in fact, on, on his interview, he says uh, he's so chuffed at the fact that he can beat Simon Pegg in terms of the number of franchises he's been in because he's been in Star <laughs> Trek and Doctor Who and Star Wars and Blake Seven. And he is, and Simon Pegg will never be in Blake Seven. Um, and, and, he, and he gets misty-eyed when he starts talking about this wonderful wonderful time he had being this evil doll on Doctor Who and it was um, and, and uh, the, uh, his, his father had died not long before he did it and he wishes his dad could have seen because he would have been so proud to see him in Doctor Who and uh, and it's great that you know someone who, who now lives in LA and is um, and has gone on to all of that has made the time to do a little interview for a Doctor Who bonus feature in 2019 I suppose he did it yeah. it's um it's you know it's, it's, it does say a lot that everyone involved in it did at least really take pride in their work and tried to do it really hard. And you could say, well, they're doing evil racist work; they shouldn't have. But um, it's more interesting to just peel away the layers, I think. And, and, and but that doesn't mean that it goes the, the uncomfort, the, the discomfort goes away. Mm. But the other layer, the layers to it that are still fascinating can still be fascinating. Like driving on a German motorway. <laughs> well, I, wrote I wrote that in my notes as if it was profound because Hitler built the German roadways but you, you wouldn't refuse to drive on them just because he built them that's a pretty bad metaphor actually it doesn't work but, no I know what you're trying to say I know what yeah. you're trying to say it's a mixed bag that's what I'm trying to yeah yes that's yeah. it and I love that you can see their breath in the scenes where they're out in London at night and you, yeah. and that just makes it so real because that's one thing they just could not fake then and even now with CGI they can only fake it badly mm. but when you see Tom and and, uh, and Louise Jameson walking along and you can see their breath uh, and and uh, oh on the commentary when Patsy Smart turns up and does a make her all sick that would <laughs> Tom Baker goes oh I doubted her you know on the commentary <laughs> 
not quite sure if he's joking. Because, <laughs> but she she had been a theatrical legend, and she was in a, uh, taking small roles in, in in her in her dotage at that point. But she, I think she'd been an absolute star of the stage in, in a, a few decades before before then. So uh, he, he, she, she was one of those people he was really chuffed to have had a chance to work with. Tell you what, though, it's a horrifying moment when you Google the cast biographies and you realise that you're older than both. Um, Jago and Lightfoot were at the time of filming. Although, in defence, they were only like they were like forty-one. They do not look like they're in their early forties, do they? they, they, they... No, Please back me up here. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm forty-one, and um, yeah, I hope that I'm wearing a little better than uh, <laughs> Jago Lightfoot. The twentieth century was a tough century. Yeah, that's it. There's, there's something somebody tweeted the other day, didn't they, about the. Um, Ah, his name's just gone out of my head, but um, the in uh, the Pyramids of Mars, the um, uh, Scarman, that he was only thirty six. The the guy that was Bronson in Grange Hill. Um, oh, Michael Shirt. Yeah, he's only thirty six in, um, <laughs> in in Pyramids of Mars. <laughs> wow. Which uh, yeah, it's, it's quite an eye opener. Yeah, yeah, but I guess as an actor, if you can get a, if you can get famous for playing roles that are ten years older than you actually are in ten years' time, you'll think, well, I'll still be getting work because I'll actually be that age. Yeah, very sly longevity. Yeah. <laughs> the last thing about Tom to Wen Chiang, the the bit I remember being really taken with when I was a kid. You know, when the doctor is searching the basement of the theatre, and he says something like, "If there is a secret entrance, it's expertly hidden." And I remember thinking, oh, that's a cool idea that you can be an expert in hiding things. Um, and now I always say that line, like not to sound like a typical husband or anything, but like I can't find anything in cupboards or fridges or anything like that. Um, so, you know, like when Mel tells me to pass her something, I can't find it. And then she just kind of reaches over and just immediately picks it up. But if I'm looking for something, I often say, well, if it is here, it's expertly hidden. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is your... Uh, what Doctor Who quote do you say in real life thing? Yeah, so do you, do you guys have any, uh, not, not, not that kind of the, the big lines, yeah. but any little obscure lines yeah, that no, you're working to? I don't know, I do. Yeah, it's, um, your I'm afraid we don't have a suitable vessel into which he could be ladled. <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, Revelation of the Daleks. Revelation of the Daleks. Yes. <laughs> I don't good. actually say that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about you, Pete? Well, mine used to be uh, from Attack of the Cybermen, uh, and, and um, uh, it's a pretty tiny thing, but um, it, it's the phrase "not unlike myself." Said after some, but said after something like being shit. If I go, "Oh, this fucking thing's broken," not unlike myself, because yeah. that's what the doctor says. The TARDIS, when functioning perf- when functioning properly, is capable of many remarkable things. Not unlike myself, but it's not that anymore. Um, Orphan Fifty Five has now come along, and it's hyphen going. We never should have left the dome. And I'm just <laughs> going to say that when I'm in any kind of stressful situation, uh, I'm just going to say we never should have left the dome because I think that covers all bases. Good one. I had to get a mention in, sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say, I can't believe it's taken this long. <laughs> I know. Yeah. You've made a note where to edit me out. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, the, if, you, if you go through all of the bonus features on this, there's uh, Yeah, the, the Philip Hinchcliffe interviews, uh, one of the other really big ones, which um, oh, yeah. 
um, I, I thought that was great. It's, it's the first kind of behind the uh, behind the scenes person we've had, isn't it? Um, and um, yeah, I mean, the, the great thing is he's got a fantastic memory, isn't it? Which um, he has. He was only twelve when he made it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. BBC Youth Employment Scheme. It is. It is. No, but it is just shocking that people, people in their twenties, were given control of Doctor Who. <laughs> just seems because he's twenty nine, isn't he? Guy, right? Yeah, and, and Verity Lambert in, was, 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 I guess, yeah. that, right. It's the same yeah. thing with the Writers' Room documentary on the season twenty-six Blu-ray, and and they're all like a lot of them are in their early twenties and stuff. Um, mm. And it just made me think about you know when there was kind of the big backlash against the when the Time Team um, when they kind of were uh, recast or uh, hired a new Time Team anyway, and and it was all kind of young people in their early twenties, and everyone's going, "Oh, that's not very representative, is it?" And you think it's. But like you, it's because we've all grown up <laughs> and got old, um, and it, yeah. it is interesting to to hear the perspective of a new generation on these, uh, you know, these older stories and stuff like that. And say they're not much younger, if at all, than the people that were working on it, on it a lot of the time, anyway. Yeah, God, that is quite dauntingly the thing to think. But yeah, yeah. The um, have you seen, have you had a chance to watch the um? Who's Doctor Who revisited? Yeah, I, I highly recommend. Yeah, it's really nice. Really? So they go back to that. If, if if you don't know, there was this doc- documentary was made by a show called The Lively Arts, which was a very highbrow arts program on the BBC uh, that that normally dealt with uh, this week Francis Bacon or the, or this week the latest book by Nadim Gordimer, and they decided to do Doctor Who Towns of Wang Chiang, and it was the first time anyone had really taken Doctor Who seriously in that way as opposed to being a bit of filler on a Saturday night at least within, within the BBC itself and so and yeah and God bless him Toby Haydock tracks down these child, school children who were interviewed all these years ago and interviews them now and even that gets bloody tear jerking at one point yeah. and it turns out that one of them <laughs> didn't last all that long uh, and that got that, that's a really tugging at the heartstrings moment but, um, but then still interview her mum and and, uh, and it's uh yeah, and it's the first. That was the first instance of someone actually a researcher for this show had to go out and watch loads of episodes of Doctor Who and sort of write a history of Doctor Who, which just hadn't hadn't been done before in the previous thirteen years that that anyone could think of. And uh, and there's a bit where he goes through the list of notes that this researcher made on, on early stories. And it just says things like Space Museum, Static, The Crusade, very very boring. <laughs> that stood out but he liked the Claws of Axos so they put a clip from Claws of Axos in the documentary what and, that, and that was the days when a researcher could go and sit in the BBC library and watch every single episode of Doctor Who to find the good ones that was that was another tear-jerking moment wasn't it but, uh, <laughs> to think yeah. that they had all that that's what I was going to ask you Pete actually are those notes in the PDF archive on these discs um, th- no, yeah, no, not the no, because no, uh, there is loads of documents. There's scripts and things, and there's official BBC press releases. There, but, so there's press releases about the episodes, but not. I don't think the notes about um, from the researcher for Who's Doctor Who are, are there. I haven't spotted them, but they are. They're spread across all the discs, so it's possible I've missed it. But um, no, I've not. I've not spotted that. Yeah. And the, and the first ever list that was compiled of what was missing from the archives that the guys from the Doctor Who fan club, as it then was, received. And like, oh, yeah, here, here's a list of... Uh, of well, it turns out we've not actually got all that much, but these are the ones that we do still have. Mm-hmm. And they, they were like the first fans ever to be told that 75% of black and white Doctor Who had been junked. And they, God, can you imagine opening that letter? Yeah. It's, 
Unbelievable. But and they they said, well, we'll look after it um, and, until you need it again. So you know, if, if it's a case of um, making space and stuff, didn't they? So that that was how they um, well, they saved some of it, which I didn't. I hadn't heard that story before. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if they hadn't written that letter, then mm-hmm. more would have been gone. If they'd left it another six months, there would have been even more gone. It's just yeah, wow. Yeah. But it's, a, Could it's have been worse. great to watch the original Who's Doctor Who with the Who's Doctor Who revisited right afterwards. Um, it's uh, it is really nice to see these kids from the seventies, uh, and then you see them growing up and um, and what impact it had on their lives as well. It's it's lovely. Mm. Um, yeah, and like you say, the 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 mum of the the, uh, the 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 girl who sadly died really young that. Um, for her to hear that, you know, Doctor Who fans still watch this and uh, and enjoy it, that it was um, it, uh, it was a nice moment for her, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a happy moment for her in, in, in a very sad context, but but it makes her really pleased that the little girl is, is remembered by all these people, all these people, yeah. decades later. It would yeah. be before the era of home videos and uh, anything like that as well. So having that. Um, Having that as a memory would be would be quite rare, I guess, in those days. Yeah, and there's the guy who says he's watching his dad, who's no longer with us, and, and saying that's so weird. He he, there is my my dad's in this feature when I was a little boy, and he there is much younger than I am now. Yeah, and that must be a, a a really strange thing to for someone, particularly to encounter about someone from that generation, where you just don't expect to see videos of of people from the uh, from the seventies. Yeah. So I mean, in terms of value for money, I, I just they just keep cramming this stuff in. Mm. It, it really is fantastic. Yeah, they 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 are well worth the uh, the, uh, the the forty quid definitely um, for, for what you get for them. The space it frees up on the shelf. If you if you are getting rid of the DVDs, as I am at the same time. Mind <laughs> okay. going in boxes in the attic and then uh, I. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Exactly. I, I, there's no need. When am I ever going to get them, get them down again? I don't know. But uh, I, I really want to. I really want to find my VHSs again because I know I've got some, uh, and so I want to. I, th- I think I've got that King's Demons Five Doctors postcard album one somewhere, yeah. and they would be pretty pristine as well. Yeah, so I've still to, got the little album from that, but the the, the VHSs I. Um, uh, I got rid of uh, as, the, as the DVDs came in. I kept I kept seeds of death because that was the first one I ever got, uh, and so I'll, I'll always keep that. The the, uh, the three hour long thing, edited version compilation movie version of Seeds of Death was the first yeah. old Doctor Who that I'd ever been you know, unwrapped on Christmas morning, and so that that's that's being kept forever. But um, that's the only one I've kept. Yeah. The one I really regret not keeping, of course, is Silver Nemesis because it has got that brilliant documentary on it, which um, has not been re-released on DVD yet. Oh yeah, so I think I've got that. Is that, is that that's the one with the sort of silver and green and pink cover? Is yeah, it? it's got a beautiful metallic yes. green cover. Yeah, beautiful green cover. Uh, <laughs> I I think I'm sure I've got that in a box. As soon as I can. As soon as lockdown ends, I can try and try and find it. I'm hoping it'll do something as beautiful as that. Hopefully, it'll be on the season twenty-five uh, box set if they can get the clearance yeah. for it. That's my uh, that's my dream. 
Yeah, yeah, they've got, they've got they've got to hold out for that. For I mean, there's surely the uh, the people that own the rights to it aren't um, getting going to get any income from it in any other way, are they? I wouldn't imagine. <laughs> no. Doesn't suffer the curse of being like dimensions in time, all, all done on a guarantee, and never making money out of it. Yeah. <laughs> so what's next? I think this is the first time we um, we haven't known what the next set is. Oh uh, yeah. As, as this one's released, um, and I think I think somebody asked Chris Chapman on Twitter if they've got the um, you know if they've got enough stuff filmed um, for any more releases before lockdown, and uh-huh. he said he did. So. Um, I guess case of uh, maybe putting it all together or uh, actually physically manufacturing them, but um, yeah, I know there's been there's been a lot of speculation about season twenty being in in the can because just I've just heard people talking about people being interviewed in Amsterdam. Some someone has dropped oh, a comment right. about having been interviewed in Amsterdam, but that even that they could be getting it that in the can for five releases down the line, so it yeah. wasn't necessarily what's due next. But it's but um, it's on the covers. We'll probably do a Davison or a Pertwee. Mm, yeah. The Pertwees that we had, just the one. Just one, yeah. Yeah. I think because Chris Chapman said at Warp, you'll the, the, my kind of a rule of thumb might be that they alternate between the longer earlier seasons and the shorter later seasons, just in terms of like the capacity for um, kind of up- upgrading the pictures on them and things like that. Um, so I guess if, if we've had a 70s one we might get an 80s one next um, but yeah I think Peter Davison right. at Big Finish Day last year was talking about having filmed some stuff and this was after season 19 came out so it, it could be that we'll get another Davison season um, yeah that that would make sense wouldn't it because yeah because we've had a Colin and a Sylvester mm-hmm. with a previous so yeah we do another Davison I think yeah but, and of course the, the real it's going to be a, a real buzz when they do the first black and white one whatever that would be yeah. but I guess they've got to do I guess they've got to do a lot of negotiating with the people who are doing the animations because if there's no animations available we'll want, we'll want them in the same box but then that will cut into their sales so yeah mm. yeah I think they'll do that right at the end because you want to leave it as long as possible in case some uh, some films turn up somewhere in some yeah. way yeah it could still not happen. It could. Yeah, somebody said that they that they know of some in private hands, didn't they? It was Philip Morris, yeah, on Twitter. But oh, his Philip tweets Morris. have been somewhat tech centric of late, so right. people have taken it with a pinch of salt. Yeah, ah, right. I thought it was somebody else. Then that's <laughs> well, maybe it's not just him, but but it, well, he was definitely saying that. Mm. But um, you just you just don't know whether people are inflating just a vague hint and turning it into an actual hope. An omni-rumor. But, um, yeah. Uh, we, we can but hope. Indeed. Never give up. Never give in. Is that a Steps lyric or a Peter Capaldi quote? It's never cowardly, never cruel. <laughs> oh, no, that's it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks, guys. Thank you. Really appreciate you joining me. Thank you. Welcome. Conversation about a truly epic um, product and and part of Doctor Who's most discussable history. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I think probably only season thirteen is going to be 
uh, maybe as popular as this in terms of in terms of sales and and, and scarcity of the uh, of the box sets. Maybe some of the poetry ones. Maybe season seven. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. And and uh, I I just lo- I would absolutely love season seven. Um, mm-hmm. Although I know that the picture quality of the other seven of the seven those seven part stories is yeah. going to be a bit of a push because they're they're not the best. Un- unlike beautiful um, spearhead in its pristine, yeah. uh, its pristine film prints, uh, the the others are uh, have been cobbled together, haven't they? And videos and stuff, but still, that I would just love that. That season seven would probably be my next um, wish list season. I think if they can do a in the season seven box set, a 4K Ultra HD HDR vehicle <laughs> space because presumably you would have scanned it at some kind of resolution that's higher or you've still got it, you can go back to it. Um, mm. Imagine getting Spearhead even, even better. I mean, it's 50 millimeter film instead of 35 millimeter <laughs> film, but you, yeah. still, you yeah. still get the color. Uh, you probably wouldn't get too much resolution again, but you probably get decent amount of colour gain and um, the HDR range. And what the hell? <laughs> Why that? There's always one, one further step to go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Good. Cool. Uh, so where can our listeners find you guys on Twitter? They can find us on Twitter. It's a popular networking site. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am prof underscore quite a mess where my name and my, my name is very Pete Lambert. And I'm Colin underscore Neil N-E-A-L. Neil before me, as Sutek says. <laughs> um, I am Quark McMallis. You can follow the podcast at Trap One underscore. Find all our previous episodes at trap1.podbean.com. Uh, and if you're feeling very generous, uh, you could leave us a review um, or a star rating on iTunes. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. And let us know if you've listened all the way through this, because it's two hours long. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing with your lives if you're still listening? For God's sake. <laughs>